0: My name is Jarrett Stevens. and I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City Church. And as Jeannie mentioned a moment ago, uh, I've worked really hard on a sermon for you this weekend, but you've already seen the best sermon in Lives Changed. And what we're going to be looking at this morning is what does that process really look like? How do we uh, move from an old life to a new life in God? How do we um, really grow up in our lives, but most specifically grow up in our relationship with God? And what specifically does our past have to do with our future with God? What might God want to do with your past for a new future and new life with Him? We're in the series called Growing Up where we're trying to take big spiritual concepts and be very practical with them. How do we actually grow day in, day out in a relationship with God? And so if you're new to Soul City Church or new to kind of even the faith conversation, I think this is a great time for you to be here because we want to be as uh, honest and open and practical and helpful as we can with these really important big spiritual concepts. And what we're trying to do is literally grow up. Because there's a huge difference, as we're going to see through our time here today, huge difference between growing old And growing up. Big difference between growing old and growing up. Everyone grows old, not all of us grow up. And I think this week is a very um, poignant reminder of that. I think you are going to see in living color how people can grow old without growing up. Yesterday at Fall Fallapalooza, it was so fun for, uh, to see everyone out in costumes. So great this week with Halloween coming up. A lot of folks dressing up in costume. We went as a family as s'mores. My wife and I were graham crackers. Our daughter was a little cute marshmallow. Our son was chocolate. Cute. Families dressing up together, going to Halloween parties. Cute. Kids wearing costumes throughout the week or just to go to Dominic's. Cute. Adults by themselves... On their own, wearing costumes. Different story. Different story. And throughout the course of this week, you're going to see it last night, I took the dog out about 10.30 at night to, you know, kind of do the dog thing, and walking by at 10.30 at night were two grown women dressed as naughty vampires and... (laughs) I kind of just looked away and thought, they've made a choice tonight. They are in a costume as adults. And uh, this is a very important thing. It's fun to get dressed up with your kids and that kind of stuff. But I just want to give you a reminder of how you can grow old without growing up. He's probably a school teacher. I just want to let you live with that. These guys may be your banker. Uh, That's possible. Again, nothing nothing wrong with having some fun and getting dressed up. It just gets a little weirder the older you get. Uh, I brought a few more examples that I like more. White Castle guy. I don't know what he's doing, but I like his costume. I appreciate his ingenuity. I'm down with that. Uh, this is perhaps my favorite, uh, is, is, is Run DV, Darth Vader. I love it. Old school. That makes total sense. I can see the inspiration and where that came from. And then this last one I just want to leave you with, and that's all I want you to see. <laughs> that Perhaps you are not going to remember a thing I say for the rest of the sermon because you just saw a very hairy man in a Wonder Woman costume. It's really possible to grow old without actually growing up. Growing old is something that your body does. Everyone's body grows old, whether you like it or not. But growing up is something the soul does. And God has invited every one of us to grow up. Every one of us will grow old inevitably. There's just no way to escape that. But some of us will be intentional and will intentionally grow up by making choices to align our lives with God. His way and His teaching, the life that He actually has for us. If you are not growing up, then you are simply just growing old. And if you're just growing old, then you're missing out on the life, the full life that God actually has for you. And so what we want to do this weekend is explore what are the things that happened to us as we were growing older that God might actually use to grow us up. What are the things from our past that we need to go back to and pay attention to, and more specifically, invite God into so that he might grow us up into the people that he longs for us to be? When it comes to spiritual growth and how you grow in a real relationship with God, we're not talking about religion, we're talking about a relationship with God, there is no growing up without going back. There just is no growing up without going back and paying attention to the places maybe of pain or hurt, or loss, or places where you need to be extra aware of God's loving and redemptive presence. We're going to ask questions this morning. We're going to look at a story from the Bible that illustrates this. We're going to ask honest questions about what is it from our past, our story, that we need to go back to to grow up? Where do we need to get real with what really happened? What is it that God is inviting us to feel about that? Because God actually is a God of emotion, the fullness of emotion. And what is it that God wants to heal in our story? You don't grow up you don't grow up without going back. So for some of us, it's, it's going to mean going back to maybe a divorce in your family from when you were a child. And you thought, I've, that was decades ago. I've moved on from that now. But could it possibly be that there are still things that you are holding on to that you learned from that pain, from that reality, that are holding you back, actually, from the life God has for you? For some of you, for some of us, it's going to mean kind of going back and understanding the role that maybe an overbearing parent played on your life, and they just were trying to run every detail of your life and control your life, maybe from good intentions, but it had an effect on your life. What does God want to speak into that? Or maybe for you, it'll mean going back to an emotionally absent parent or physically absent parent. For some of us, going back means we need to kind of go back to that significant breakup that you experienced in your life. And it may have just been a couple years ago. It may be, in fact, the reason that you moved to the city to get away from an old life. Or maybe you moved to the city to start a new life with someone else, and that relationship ended. That's real. That's pain. What does God say to that? And how does God want to grow you up even through that difficult moment for you? Maybe it's the death of someone that you love and care about, or the death of a dream, that you thought your life was going to be about. What does God want to do with that? We can try and sort of move on and move past and keep going forward, but God actually says, no, I want to take you back to that moment in your past so that you can actually have a full future and life with me you don't grow up by just kind of getting past or getting over. You go back to grow up. And more specifically, you invite God in so that you don't stay stuck in things that you learned from your past. We're going to see that in a moment from the story that we're going to look at in the Bible how we kind of go back and deal with these things with God so that we don't stay stuck in our stories and so that we can actually live into the life that God has for us. Because there's a principle we're going to see in the story, and then we're going to open up the Bible together. But it's a principle that's painted actually throughout all of Scripture. It's painted again and again and again from story to story to story, generation to generation. And it's a truth that God has actually woven into the reality of your life and your story. And it's simply this. When it comes to your past, unless God redeems it, What are you going to do? You're going to repeat it. This is just a fundamental sort of truth about God and life and you and me, that unless God is invited into our past and we allow him to redeem it, even though maybe you're like, oh, that all happened before I met God. I met God three years ago, so clean slate. No, not exactly, no. There are still realities and implications from your story, your past, that until God redeems guess what you're going to do? You're going to repeat those patterns. You're going to repeat what you learned. You're going to play out the invisible script that was handed to you by your parents, and you're going to keep playing those things out, and it's going to affect your life today and your life into your future. It will affect every one of your relationships. It will affect your marriage. It will affect the way that you parent. Until God redeems it, you are actually going to repeat it, and maybe you've already seen some of these things come out in your life now. The things that you swore you'd never do that your parents did, and now you find yourself doing them. The pain that you someone occurred to you that you were so hurt and wounded by, but you found yourself taking that pain out on others. Until God redeems it, you and I are going to end up repeating it over and over and over again. And so what we want to do is look to God's truth for a different way, a better way, a way of going back so that we can actually go forward, a way of growing up by going back and saying, God, what do you want me to pay attention to and where do you want to heal me in my past? So I'm going to ask you to grab a Bible because we're going to look at one specific story of one particular character. His name's Joseph. Now, if you brought your own Bible, fantastic. You get bonus points. If you didn't, that's okay. We've got you covered. There's a blue Bible in your seat back. I'm going to ask you to grab it. and I'm going to have everyone do this. Now, we're going to kind of do some, you know, moving through uh, the scriptures this morning. So you can actually turn to Genesis 37. Uh, in the blue Bible, it's page 27. So it's almost all the way to the left page 27. It's Genesis 37. We're going to look at the life of Joseph. Now look at the life of Joseph. Now you may be familiar with the story of Joseph. He's a central character in the story of the Old Testament. Uh, Joseph's life tends to get sort of filed under the category of hero uh, in his story, which is very true, but what we're going to do is kind of peel back the layers and look for what's really going on in the story, because that's true of your story and my story, is there's much more going on beneath the circumstances of our lives, so we're going to look into what's really going on in his story, and we're going to look at what God would have for us through his story. In fact, specifically, once we get through this passage, I want to offer you a very practical prayer that you can begin to pray today, to invite God into those parts of your past that maybe you've tried to move past and avoid. I think it's a very practical spiritual prayer that you can begin to pray coming out of what we're about to see in the life of Joseph. So it's Genesis 37, page 27. Let me give you some quick context. Joseph... Uh, is actually the, the uh, comes in the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So we spent earlier this year, we looked at the lives of those three generations. Abraham is the central character of the Old Testament. God gives him a promise that he's going to birth a nation. And so f- from that, he has a son, a couple sons. Isaac is one of them. Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob has a son, and his name, well, Jacob has actually many sons. Uh, one of them is Joseph, but Joseph is actually son number 11, of 12 in his family. So that's like, that's a reality show waiting to happen. So 12 sons, he's the 11th son, okay? So he comes from the line of Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to his life, very important character. And there's some key moments we're going to look at where he has the potential to stay stuck and just kind of repeat what the generations before him had done. Instead, invites God in and writes a new story with God for his life. Let's dive into this together. Genesis 37, verse 2. We're going to be moving through this passage. So if I pause at any point, it's because I want you to say the word back to me that's next in the passage. Is that okay? Can you do that? It's because we believe this, this truth is transformational, changes us. Uh, it's also for me to make sure that you're awake. So uh, Genesis 37, verse 2. Joseph was a young man of how old? Seven. Good job. 17. So he's a teenager. This is very important. Joseph is a young man of 17, okay, teenager, tending the flocks, that means being a shepherd, with his brothers. Now this is a very interesting detail that the Bible gives us. His brothers were the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, and very common names in our culture today. But what he's saying there is that they're actually from two different mothers. So now in that time, you know, God, this is in the full swing of God allowing us to live in the consequences of our sin. This is before Jesus And so God, the story of the Old Testament is God saying, if this then is what you want, I'm going to let you have it. And so it's not that God approves of Abraham or any of these guys having multiple wives, specifically in this story, Jacob, but he did. And so these brothers are not just from one mother. These are brothers from another mother, but from the same father. Okay? So that's what's going on. Again, reality show. That's what's going on right here. So these are his father's wives, two different women. And... Listen to what Joseph does. He brings his father a bad report about his brothers. So this is a 17-year-old tattling on his grown brothers. That's what's happening here. Maybe you grew up in the King James where it said he tattleth. But that's what happens. He goes to his dad and says, you need to know what's going on. These guys are are not, I don't even know what you're going to, they're being bad shepherds. They're sheping poorly. I don't even know what he's, but he gives a bad report to his father. And that'd be one thing for a 17-year-old to tattle. Again, pretty, as you're going to see here, a pretty emotionally unaware 17-year-old and a pretty overly confident 17-year-old. So he goes to his father, whose name is Jacob, also sometimes called Israel. You'll see why in a second. And tattles on his brother. Now look at this, Genesis 37 verse 3. Now Israel, same name for Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Okay, so now you see it. Loved him more than any of his other sons. So he's playing favorites with Joseph. Now this is a pattern that's on repeat from the generations before him. The truth is, if we were to rewind the story, what you'd see is Abraham had two sons. He had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. He favored one over the other. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. He favored Esau over Jacob. Jacob was the not favorite in his family, and here he is playing favorites in his. You see the patterns that can be on repeat in our lives until God is allowed in to redeem them? But listen, that's not all. Not only is this his favorite, this is his favorite because he'd been born to him in his old age, and he had an ornate robe made for him. Now are you getting which Joseph we're talking about? This is Donny Osmond Joseph. That's who we're talking about, okay? You got that? He has a robe. So it's one thing for those of you who are parents like to have favorites, you're gonna say that you don't, but there's seasons where you're like, I really love being with this one, you know, in this season, whatever. Yeah, that's fine. It's one thing to sort of have favorites or play favorites. It's another to give them a letterman's jacket and say, I want everyone to know that you're my favorite. Forget these other 11, I pick you. That's really what he did by giving him this very ornate robe so that when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they what? Hated him. You see what's going on inside the family? They hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So we see in the story, there's favoritism, there's jealousy, there's envy, there's hatred. Joseph doesn't help the situation at all. In fact, seemingly being quite unaware of the temperature in the air, he goes on to tell his brothers about a dream that he had about them. Genesis 37, verse 7, we were, he's telling this dream, we were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Way to go, Joseph. You're totally helping your cause here right now. So not only is all that stuff going on, he adds to it and says, hey, guys, I had the craziest dream. Basically, we were all gathering grain, and mine kind of was the biggest and best, and you all bowed down to mine. Isn't that crazy? Not helping, Joseph. Now, what I want you to do is put a mental pin into everything that happened in that dream, the imagery of grain, and his brother's actually bowing down to him, because it's going to be very interesting to see what God does to redeem this part of his story and his past. Verse 8, jump down. His brothers were not feeling it. Genesis 37, 8, this brother said to him, oh. oh, oh, oh do you intend to reign over us? Like, will you actually rule us? You're going to be the boss of us? Like, that's what's going on here. And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. So you've got to be able to feel this and sense this going on in the house, in the family. That's not all. He has another dream. Tells his mother and father, hey, guess what? You're going to bow down to me one day too. Crazy, right? He continues to do that, so much so, in fact, that his brothers begin to put a plot together to end his life. Jump to Genesis 37, verse 19. Jump down a little bit. Joseph is walking down. They see him kind of off in the distance, and they say to each other this, here comes that what? Dreamer. Here comes that dreamer. I mean, they can't even say his name. Here comes that dreamer. Come on, let's, let's kill him. Let's just kill him. Their hatred had rose for their own brother. Let's just kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, these large pits, and say that a a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Do you see the hatred even in their words towards him? Then we'll see what comes. Oh, hey, dreamer, come here. Let's, let's, Let's end his life. And then we'll see who bows down to whom. Now, I don't think it necessarily happened this way, but as they were plotting to throw him into this pit and kill him, I really hoped that they would have a great, like, 80s movie one-liner when they threw him in, like, throw him down there and go, sweet dreams. I was really hoping <laughs> that the Bible, welcome to your nightmare, pal. I really was, it's not in there. I'm just telling you, when I get to heaven, I'm going to give God my rewrites and just say, this would have been great. Um... But basically, that's not exactly what happens. In fact, one of his brothers uh, begins to reason with the other brothers and say, okay, we can't, we, we can't kill our brother. That's, that's out of control. That's unacceptable. But we can sell him into slavery. And so, so the crime gets downgraded from murder to slavery, and that's exactly what happens. Genesis 37, 28. So they saw these Midianite merchants coming by, and his brothers pulled Joseph out of that pit and they sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him on to Egypt. So here they are going to kill their brother, but they, they, they know they shouldn't do that, so they just get rid of him. They want that part of their story deleted and removed. And so they sell him off into slavery. Very interesting, 20 shekels of silver. If you were to take that amount into our current sort of economic realities, do you know what Joseph's life was worth to his brothers? About $228. That's how little he meant to them. That's what his life was worth in that moment, from a pit into slavery into a foreign land. Now, you're Joseph. What do you do in this moment? Where does your heart go in this moment? Here, your brothers hated you and were jealous of you because of your father's favoritism of them. What do you feel towards them after being thrown into a pit, threatened to be killed, and then sold off into slavery and ridden off into a faraway land? If you're anything like me, I'm going to hate them just the same. I'm going to take everything they poured towards me, I'm going to turn it back on them. And I'm going to sit, and I'm going to stew, and I'm going to stay stuck in my anger and my resentment towards them. I am going to get stuck in that moment. And maybe you would too. Maybe, in fact, you actually have. You're stuck in a moment of pain that was caused to you years ago. And whether you realize it or not, you have not moved forward into your future because you're still stuck in that place of pain in your past. Joseph goes a different route, though. Instead of wanting revenge or, or payback, he has this unwavering awareness of God's loving presence and blessing in his life, even in the darkest moments, even when the most despicable things were done to him. In fact, look what ends up happening. He ends up going to Egypt. Jump ahead to Genesis thirty-nine. Genesis thirty-nine. We'll go to Genesis thirty-nine four. Just a page or so over from there. He's taken to Egypt, put in slavery. But he ends up working for Pharaoh's, uh, kind of the chief of police. So his, the head of the palace guard. His name's Potiphar. He ends up working for him, and he ends up working really well. Ends up being an excellent sort of employee, if you will. Genesis 39.4, Joseph found favor uh, in Potiphar's eyes and became his attendant, his right-hand person. And Potiphar put him in charge of his whole household. And he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. So now Joseph uh, has been in a pit. He's been taken off to a foreign land, into slavery, but ends up, by God's blessing and favor in his life and by his own hard work and leadership, is kind of raised up within the house of the head of police for Pharaoh. And so here he is a million miles from home. His past kind of seemingly behind him. That was another life ago. And like that just sort of is what it is. That happened. That, you know, that's in my past. And God is rebuilding his life. And things seem to be going really well for Joseph. And if I'm Joseph, I'm like, yeah, okay, well, it's not what I would have picked. But here we are, and I'm going to kind of make a life for myself here until uh, Potiphar's wife makes a pass at him. And he's a man of character and says no. And so she has him thrown in jail kind of trumps up charges against him, has him thrown in jail, and guess where he ends up again? He's back in a pit, back in a pit in a foreign land, alone, in a jail. But Joseph has this sense of God's faithfulness to him, and so even in the darkest and most desolate place, he is faithful to God and gives his very best right where he's at. Again, could be holding on to resentment against Potiphar's wife. What happened? What did I, I didn't even do anything? I'm, here, I'm not even supposed to be here. Could have had a very understandable sense of uh, righteous indignation or justice. Like this should not have happened. This is wrong because it was wrong. But here he is in jail and so he's faithful right where God has him. And look what ends up happening. He gains favor with the head of the prison. Genesis 39, verse 22. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. This is a prisoner running all the prisoners. I mean, this is truly like God elevating him even from the lowest of places, the darkest of hours. And you remember when Joseph had those two dreams when he was 17? This is years and years before. Well, guess what God begins to use him for in this prison? There's a couple key influential people that have been thrown in prison as well. They have dreams. And now Joseph, the dreamer of dreams, becomes the interpreter of dreams. And he tells them exactly what their dreams mean and they came to pass just as Joseph said and so wouldn't you know it one day Pharaoh has a really troubling dream and he asks around who's really good at interpreting dreams and so they go on Yelp and they find Joseph and he has really high (laughs) review and so they bring Joseph up out of prison walking right past Potiphar's office to Pharaoh himself And Joseph interprets the dream that Pharaoh has. And the dream was basically this, that there was going to be seven years of plenty, that they were going to be blessed with a great harvest for seven years. But then there's going to be seven years of famine where things would be really lean. And so Joseph not only addresses this is what's happened in this dream, but tells Pharaoh, you need to do something about this. This is going to happen. And so it's really interesting the way that he wins Pharaoh's favor. In fact, Look at this in Genesis 41, verse 39. Genesis 41. You can jump ahead a couple chapters. Genesis 41, verse 39. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, again, he worshiped different gods, but he's looking at this guy and saying, since your God has made this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace. And all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Isn't that interesting? So now, God once again raises Joseph up to the second highest seat, and the most powerful force in all the world, in Egypt. From the pit, to pit, to Pharaoh's court, to now he's Potiphar's boss. Ooh, what would you do then? have Potiphar sent out to the farthest land possible. It'd be easy to do that. Get stuck and sort of pain back the pain of your past. That's not the route that Joseph goes. He sees God's hand of blessing on his life. He knows that there's no pit that is too dark, no prison that is too desolate for God's redemptive love to break through and to write a better story. And the same is true for you and me. There's no moment in your past that is too dark or too painful. No season of your life where you ran so far from God that God's redemptive love cannot break through and redeem your story. And instead of you just repeating patterns from the past, God rewrites a new story and a new future for you. Joseph seemed to have this insight in his life. And it's what I think God is calling every one of us to grow up into. And so wouldn't you know it, his dream was right. His leadership skills were solid. And in fact, it worked. There was seven years of plenty. And Joseph devised a plan to store and and build storehouses for all this grain that they needed to keep for the next seven years of famine. And wouldn't you know it, his plan actually was so successful that everyone in Egypt not only had enough grain for themselves, but neighboring lands would come to Egypt to get their. their grain, from them. And wouldn't you know it, one day a couple brothers make a trip from Canaan down to Egypt because they need grain. And they come into the presence of Joseph. Now they've assumed he's long gone. That is the past and they've kind of moved on. They're hungry today and so they come to Egypt to buy grain they don't even recognize him. They would never imagine that the vice president of Egypt (laughs) would be the one standing right before them, would actually be their brother. But he recognizes them. He knows who they are in an instant. It's a really powerful moment where his past is brought right up into his present, face to face. What would you do in that moment? What would you do? You're the second most powerful person in the world. And the people who threw you into a pit and sold you for $228... Are standing right before you what would you do what would you do if that person who hurt you in your past crossed your path again today what would you do what would you do if you were sort of faced with the person that fired you a <laughs> boss that didn't keep you employed and you've held a grudge and resentment ever since what would you do if you were to bump into them tomorrow on the train what would you do in that moment well, Joseph has makes a very interesting choice he instead of sort of paying them back for what they did to him, he, he sort of sets up a scenario where he gets them to bring back his youngest brother. He wants to see Benjamin. He wants to see his youngest brother. And so they again, they have no idea who he is, but they go back and, and they tell their father, it's really weird that this guy that's like the right hand of Pharaoh. Sent us back here, and he said to bring back our little brother. Is that weird? And his dad's like, "Oh, oh, we're in trouble. This is this is how things happen. They're tapping our our phone lines, and this is not good. Like this is this is not good. It, it, really, Jacob begins to freak out." And so the brothers kind of like, you know, okay, we'll we'll just go back and we'll see what happens. And so they go back to Joseph's house, again, not knowing it's their brother, to buy more grain and say, look, here's our brother. See, we're not spies. We're we're good people. Here we are. And this is what happens in Genesis 43, 26. When Joseph came home um, from being the second most powerful man in the world, he comes home and they presented to him gifts that they had brought into the house. And look at what they do. And they bowed down before him to the ground. Now, think back to that emotionally unaware, overly confident 17-year-old Joseph. Here he is, two pits, and God's redemptive hand on his life later. And here are his brothers bowing down to him, coming back for what? Grain. God does not waste a single detail of your life. Every single part of your story has is ripe with redemptive potential. Even dreams that God gave you years ago, he has not forgotten. And so here they are bowing before him. And Joseph is caught up in the moment. I mean, it's all his past is now brought right into his present, right before his face. When he sees his baby brother, he just loses it. Genesis 43:30. Deeply moved to the side of his brother. Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep not just sort of get pull himself together to come undone to weep and he wept into his, went into his private room and he just wept there and wept there at the redemptive hand of God at how at any moment he could have chosen hatred, he could have chosen anger, he could have chosen resentment into his life, but he stayed faithful to God even when he was in the pit, even when he was in the lowest place and now he sees the full redemptive work of God in his life and standing before him, in fact, bowing before him are his brothers and he's overwhelmed with emotion. And he expresses it fully and freely in touch with what God was doing and having a sense of the bigger picture of what God was up to. And he comes back to his brothers. Jump ahead to Genesis 45. Look at the perspective that comes when we get that God wants to do a redemptive work in our lives. It's so beautiful. Genesis 45, verse 4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. Come close to me, you who wanted nothing to do me. You who threw me away like trash. Come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph. And now look at how he names the truth. How he names reality. I'm Joseph. Remember the one you threw, like, away and sold into slavery? Remember that? Remember that, guys? Hey, remember that one time you sold me into slavery? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's me, I'm that Joseph, that's what you did, but this is what God did. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves. Look at how he even knows sort of where they're at. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. What a perspective. That even the pain and darkest hours of my life can be used as a gift of redemptive transformation in my life to be a gift to others. No, 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 I know that you hurt me, and it hurt. Like, you really did sell me into slavery. I was in a real pit. I was in a real prison. I could have at any moment thought that God had forgotten me or focused all of my anger and energy towards you. But look at what God was doing, the greater redemptive story. Even from these dark and painful moments, God has redeemed them and, in fact, has sent me ahead so that I could be a blessing to you who meant me harm in my life. Now, that's perspective. That only comes from an awareness of and an openness to and a dependence on the redemptive work of God in your life, to choose to say in every moment, God, what do you want to do? What do I need to pay attention to? How might you want to grow me up from this thing that seemingly took me out? How do you want to grow me up, God, by going back? He knew that God could use his broken past to build a better future, God used Joseph's broken, difficult story to build a better future. Joseph didn't run from his past, didn't kind of ignore it or gloss it over, was very honest with it, but saw a bigger story of what God was doing and what God could do. This is a beautiful, powerful story. And I think if we're ever going to grow up and kind of grow into the lives that God has for us, we have to listen to and hear a story like that and go, God, what do you have for me? What do I need to be paying attention to in my story, God? Where are the places in my life that I need to go back so that I can grow up? Because I don't know, maybe I didn't make choices like Joseph did. I grabbed on to anger as quickly as I could. I held on to entitlement as long as possible. But maybe this morning, God is softening your heart and loosening the grip on those things to where you might have the courage to say, God, Where do you want to take me back to? Where do I need to go back to so that I can grow up? I want to give you a really practical prayer that you can pray today to begin this really big, important work in your life. I want to give you what I hope to be a very practical prayer that opens up spiritual growth and transformation in your life. It's a prayer that anyone and everyone can pray starting today. And it's a prayer that asks three questions of God. It's not a formula. It's not a magic thing. It just opens you up to real transformation and growing from your past into the future God has for you. Here it is. You might want to jot this down because I'm going to encourage us to be praying this throughout the course of the week as a church together. The first question is this when it comes to looking at your past and those parts of your story that maybe you've brushed over or moved on from, the first question is God, okay, what is real? Now, I know that sounds like a very existential question, but think about it in terms of your past. What really happened, God? What is real? What really happened? What, was, what really happened from this divorce? What really happened, God, in this death, or this loss. What, what, what is real? Because we have a tendency to sort of add our own interpretation on top of things to help us sort of get through, or maybe you've just sort of forgotten really what happened, and it kind of gets washed into a really bad season or hard season for your life. But for you to have the sort of redemptive work that God wants to do in your life actually happen, you have to get real with God, because he already knows every detail of your life. So he's waiting for you to join him there. God, what is real? What really happened, God? What was the real thing? Joseph named to his brothers, hey, you sold me into slavery. That's real. You did this, but this is what God has done. So what are the things that you need to say, God, what really has happened in my story? What are the real pains or losses that I've incurred? What are the real places that maybe I picked up a pattern? Where did that come from, God? Oh, that came from having a parent who was this. Or that came from the things that kids said to me in the schoolyard. What really happened? And what part do I play in that, God? So we start by getting honest, by getting real. God, what is real? What really, really happened in my past? What do you really want me to pay attention to? And that sets you up to ask the second question is, God, how do you want me to feel? What do you want me to feel? What's real? What what are the places in my life that I just kind of have pushed through, that you're bringing me back to, and then, God, what do you want me to feel over these things? Because, again, God is a God who, who, who experiences at all times the fullness of emotion. He's the one who gave us our emotions. And so God is able to help you. God is ready to help you name what is it that I'm supposed to feel about this. Okay, this really happened. What do I feel about that, God? And maybe the easiest place for you to start is what do you already feel. I feel angry, or I feel hurt, or I feel confused. Start there and say, okay, God, what do I need to feel? What do you want me to feel about this? How can I align my heart with your heart, God? How am I supposed to process this? What am I supposed to feel about this? Joseph did this beautifully. When he's caught and overwhelmed in the reality of God's redemptive work and the potential for the God, and he sees it right in front of him, for God to restore and redeem his life, he weeps. He weeps. He is not afraid of his emotions. He wasn't just being emotional. <laughs> he weeps. And I wonder, I wonder, today, how many of us just need to weep? And you may think that's weakness, but it's not. It may be the beginning of a strength that God has given you to just weep. This was wrong. This is real. This is wrong. This happened. And so I need to grieve. I need to mourn. I need to weep over the lack of this role in my life or the pain that this person caused me or the words that were said to me or the things that I've done. I treated these people this way. I treated my ex-wife that way. I need to be broken over that if I'm going to move into the wholeness that God has for me. You need to weep over the way maybe that you've used others to get ahead in life and get real with it and say, God, what do you want me to feel about that? So that then you can ask this third question. God, where do I need to be healed? God, what, what, what needs to be healed here? What's real Okay, let's get honest with it. God, how do you want me to feel about that? What am I supposed to understand? How should I feel about this? And then God, what needs to be healed in this? Where are there still places of brokenness that I've tried to just patch and move on from? But God, I need to be healed, not just sort of helped, healed, healed from. Because as long as I kind of continue to move past it, I'm going to repeat it. Until God redeems that and heals that, you're just going to repeat it and play it out in every other relationship, in every other job, in every other city. And you're going to play it out in your marriage, you're going to play it out with your kids. That's going to happen. That is the natural tendency of human existence. But God says, no, I want to break into that and heal these things. We see Joseph's relationship with his brothers is literally healed. It's not just let bygones be bygones. It's this happened. It hurt. But now, come close, come close. He can embrace his brothers, even though they're the ones that seemingly caused him the greatest harm in his life. What needs to be healed? Where do you need God's healing hand to reach into and speak into and work in your life? Lots of times, I've found, the greatest place of healing that God invites me into is me taking responsibility For the ways and for the people that I've hurt. That's lots of times I found that's where my healing begins, is me to go, you know what, God, here's what I did. And everything in me wants to point a finger and say, they did this, they did this, they did this. But God, if I'm going to experience true healing, I have to play a part in this. And so, what's my responsibility, God? Just this last week, just this weekend. (laughs) I was having a conversation with Jeannie. We had a date night on Thursday night, and we were having this great dinner, and I really wanted to talk about happy things and big things. And we found the conversation going to um, me describing a broken relationship that I'm in right now. Really hard relationship. I've known this person for a long time. But I'm finding that we're playing out like patterns from years ago that I thought maybe we'd sort of just gotten past. And as we were talking. This prayer is what was forming in the back of my mind. Okay, God, what's really going on here? I I feel really hurt by this. And Jeannie kind of walked me through, like, what is it you're feeling? I feel really hurt by this. And I feel I've played a part in this. How does God want me to feel? I feel really sad. I'm really angry. But I also feel really embarrassed for the part that I've played in this. What does God want to heal? God wants to heal this relationship. I knew that I couldn't go through this weekend And just sort of keep that off at bay. And everything in me, until the last hour last night, I finally reached out and texted him and said, hey, we need to talk tomorrow. you around? Can we talk? And right back, yeah, I'd love to. And so I know that God is going to walk me through a redemptive act this afternoon. Come back to the 5 o'clock service. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) Way better story to tell then. What's real? What are the parts from your past That you've tried to push through on your own strength. You can't do it on your own strength. You're never meant to. But you need to feel about those things. Be honest. Be real. And what does God need to heal? Where does healing need to begin in your life? And are you willing to ask for it? You just, you can't grow up without going back. And I don't want any of you to just grow old. I want you to grow up in Christ. That's my responsibility to help you do that. That's our responsibility to help you do that as pastors of this church. And so the homework for this week is to pray that prayer together, to pray that prayer. If you're in a small group, to pray that prayer together, to be honest, God, what's real? What do I need to feel? What needs to be healed? And to sit with God and stay with God. This isn't like a quick, you know, 30-second prayer. This is, I'm going to carve out some time and really go back to some of these places, these places of pain or hurt, these seasons of wandering where I ran away from God. I'm just going to get real and honest because I want that kind of redemptive work to happen in my life. I want a better story than just growing old. And we're praying for you and hopeful for you that you'll have the courage to trust God to redeem and write a beautiful story like the story of Joseph. A story that you can stand back at the end of and say, pfft. Only God, only God could have redeemed this. Only God could have healed this. Only God could have grown me into the person that I'm becoming today. So what we want to do is respond to that God right now. We want to take a moment to respond to God out of the invitation that he's given to us to come to him with our hurts and our pain and our past and begin to trust him to do the redemptive work that he longs to do. As we respond to God, we're going to do something we always do around here. We're going to give to God out of gratitude. We see God's hand in our life. And if we're honest with it, we know that we may not have all that we want, but we have way more than we need. And so in times of plenty or in times of want or need, we know that God is still faithful through every one of those. Like Joseph knew, God is faithful through every season. And so I'm going to encourage you as part of your worship and response to God to give to him not only out of obedience, but out of gratitude out of gratitude for God's goodness in your life. And then we're gonna lean into the redemptive healing hand of God and call out to him even now from right where we are. So will you pray with me right now as we respond to God together as a church? Let's pray. God, thank you for the truth of who you are and what you have done and what you do and what you're inviting us into right now. And God, I pray, I pray, I pray for, I pray, God, for our story To be one that gives you glory, God. That we would not just sort of look at the broken parts of our past and just kind of shove those under the rug. But God, we would invite you in. We would follow you there. We would meet with you there. And that we would be redeemed and made whole, God. That there would not be any part of us where you were kept out of. God, thank you that that's what you want to do. God, you don't take us back to our past to shame us or to make us feel guilty or worse. You take us there, God, to heal us and to redeem us. And God, I pray for this church. I pray every single person here, God, that we would have the courage this week to invite you into those difficult places and to find over time your healing and redemptive hand at work in our lives. So God, we call out to you with every ounce of courage that we can, and we declare the truth of who you are. And God, we step into the life that you have for us today. It's in your name that we pray and that we give and that we sing, amen.